Lord Britain died on the 22nd of January 2015. He passed away before he was formally cleared over two investigations into supposed historic sexual abuse, Operation Vincenti and Operation Midland. Tom Watson wrote a column a few days after Leon's death. A very controversial column. And if you don't mind, I wanted to read extracts of that. Just for well, I do quite mind because I find it the most... Do you? Okay, well, I, I won't. I find it, oddly enough, I, I find it okay. the worst thing of all right, okay. was what he said when he said it. Okay, well, I'll just summarise. I mean, yeah, he, 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 he wrote an awful column yeah. without going into the detail. Some would say, I mean, he danced on your husband's grave. Yeah. And in a Sunday Mirror column, yeah. made completely false allegations. And I think, if you don't mind, I will say that his sources for those false allegations were Jane yeah. and Carl Beach, Nick, although he didn't name them. Well, I suppose, in retrospect, although I didn't read it, it was about the most despicable thing that I think a human being could do to another. It's to say that sort of thing to, about somebody when they've just died. I just, I just felt that it was, it was an awful and terrible thing to do. And if you're going to make those sort of allegations, make it when somebody's alive, when they're protected by the laws of libel. But to do it so soon after somebody had died, in those words... In that way, it's just not only despicable, but almost an act of cowardice. How can you do that, whatever you may feel, to a fellow human being? And indeed to their family. It looked personal, Lady Britain, well, didn't it? it did. And this was a man who was seemingly aiming for Downing Street, certainly the top drop in the Labour Party. Shocking judgment really shocking judgment in my opinion to do that what i wanted to ask you because he came under fierce criticism for that in due course and he said he apologized had apologized to you and your family did he give you a satisfactory apology for that well in a way nothing can if you say something that is as vile as that it seems to me nothing can take away what is said you can apologize for it you can say i should i don't think that he even said i shouldn't have said it but in fact you shouldn't say things like that and to make it public in the newspaper it seems to me is it there's nothing that can take away the hurt of having actually said it that the act is done and there is almost no apology you can make for it Accepting that, did he at least make an effort to make a sincere, full apology for not only what he said, but well, what he did? Because he was effectively running a campaign against your husband, wasn't he? In life and death. I think he may have apologised in the letter that he sent me for what he said. But I'm not sure, and I can't entirely remember now, and I'm not sure that he apologised for what he did. And they're different, Okay. He was asked to apologise, as I understand it, by the Home Affairs Select Committee. He sent me a handwritten letter. You know, I'm grateful for that. But when you've said something of that nature at that time about the somebody that you deeply love, it's just very offensive. 
It's something which he's had real difficulty to shake off, but in fairness to him, just to be neutral here, he wasn't alone in terms of politicians trying to make political capital out of the allegations made against your husband. I'm talking about Zach Goldsmith. I'm yes. talking about yes, I never... Jim Hood. I'm talking about yes. Simon Danshuk. Yeah. They all had their two penneth as well, didn't they? Yes, they all had their two pennyworth, but nobody, with the possible exception of some of the things that Simon Danshuk said, nobody quite turned the knife the way that that particular statement that was made so soon after Leon's death, nothing came quite up to that in terms of its you like its impact if you had the uh, misfortune possibly of bumping into him i wonder how you'd react to that i don't i don't know how i would feel i mean this is now six years on apart from the fact it, it, this is to talk about it it's quite upsetting on a daily basis it's not something i think about you can't i don't know how i would react i think perhaps i would try not to get into that situation but clearly, it's still raw. It's raw, I think, because of the words used. I mean, all through this whole thing, there have been little sets of words. And one of them was that Leon wasn't ill. He was hiding behind illness to hide up greater nastiness. I mean, that, that was one of the accusations. It wasn't from Tom Watson. It was from someone else. And I thought, you know, that's all very offensive. I think it's very offensive to make statements about people who have no idea whether they're true or not. And to accuse somebody of hiding behind illness, I think, is, is a very despicable thing to do. I really do. And I just wonder as well, because that was two months into Operation Midland. Mm. Tom Watson was already in touch with Carl Beach then, obviously. The Metropolitan Police knew that. There's a really vicious circle happening here, isn't there? Mm. The liar. I won't call him a fantasist. Hardy Proctor gets very upset, and rightly so, when Nick is called as a fantasist. She's an outright liar, mm. and a really poor liar, I might add as well, yeah. contrary to what Cressida mm. Dick has said. A really poor liar. He's talking to Tom Watson. Tom Watson's backing him. There are friendly newspapers pumping out yeah. propaganda against individuals. It was swirling around. It was a witch hunt without parallel, in my experience. And I've seen a few over the years. I suppose other people would call it a perfect storm, but it was a bit of a witch hunt. And it's, you know, when you look back on it, it's quite hard to get to the bottom of really what was going on at the time. Mm. I mean, it, it, it was a witch hunt. I mean, I know Harvey was on this podcast a few months ago, mm. Harvey Proctor, and I asked him, will you ever get over it? And he became very emotional mm. and... Well, how, it's, Clear, it's hard he, he, for anyone to get over anything of this nature. It's, a, it's like getting over bereavement or getting over you know, some terrible thing that happens to you. I mean, it's very hard to get over. You can put it behind you. You could not feel angry about it. You can feel a bit in control of it, but you don't forget it. In, in relation to Mr. Watson, just to finish on him, because it's you know he played a crucial role, disgraceful role mm. in, in in this scandal. Mm. What do you think he was trying to achieve? Or didn't he really know what he was doing? I, I'm not sure that I would know. I mean, I don't quite understand. I mean, I'd been around the political life for, for years with, with Leon, and I didn't really quite understand what he, what he was trying to achieve. Clearly, he achieved some success with the Millie Dowler allegation and phone hacking, and yeah. clearly achieved some success there. But this was a far more 
extraordinary and rather unple more unpleasant cause to take up. And apart from maybe catapulting himself into the higher echelons of the Labour Party, I don't entirely understand the motivation unless it was personal hatred. I have no idea. It's odd because he became perceived as a voice for reason over anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Oh, well, and later on, I think. Later on, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I'm always very nervous about anti-Semitic tropes unless I you know, have real proof of them. And it's sort of around all sorts of ways of life. There are bits of racism and bits of anti-Semitism. But I would never sort of have it as a reason for anything. The bottom line is he took the word of Jane, he took the word mm. of Nick, he took up their causes... He intervened, he wrote a letter mm. to the DPP about the Jane case, bounced the Met mm. into mm. relaunching that inquiry. Your husband was not exonerated before his death. Maybe uh, he believed them. I don't know. Well, I would argue that he didn't do due diligence on them. No, I think at the best gloss on it, he didn't do due diligence. Although, of course, due diligence should have been done by the police because that's their job. In early March 2015, yeah. six weeks after Leon died, yeah. Yeah. there was a knock at the door at yeah. your home in Pimlico, wasn't yeah. there, in central London. Mm -hmm. Completely out of the blue, yeah. you were a grieving widow, and the police turned up with search warrants. They did indeed. Like I was just sort of shell-shocked. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what it was for. They didn't tell me either. I know lots about it now, but at the time, I just couldn't... I couldn't think straight. They were there with the search warrants. Distinguished ex-High Court judge Sir Richard Henriquez later said that those search warrants were obtained unlawfully. We'll come on to that a bit later. But they knocked at the door. Presumably. Well, with a whole lot of others. A whole lot, yeah. How, I was going to say, how many others came in and, and what were they wearing? Well, no, they, weren't wearing, they weren't wearing white suits. They weren't. I mean, what they were wearing up in Yorkshire, I don't know. I wasn't there. But there were, there were a lot of people, actually. Did you feel like you were being treated like a criminal yourself? Well, my memories of that particular morning are not as clear as they should be because I wish to blot it out of my mind. But my feeling was that it wasn't that I was discourteously treated, but I was treated essentially as an accomplice to a crime. And in a way, although I can't say that they were rude to me, but there was no real feeling that I might be feeling extremely vulnerable, I might be very tearful. I was quite tearful, actually. But I was so sort of struck with shock that when that happens, you freeze up. I mean, I could hardly sit down at the table. And all I really wanted to know was who had signed the search warrant. It sounds crazy all these years on. I didn't ask really, what the charge was. I wasn't told what the charge was. I was just presented with these search warrants. And it was partly a, a sort of Pavlovian reaction to this sort of thing. I, I couldn't believe it was happening. You can't believe it's happening. It's never happened to you and you've only ever seen it on the television. When it happens to you, you don't believe it. And let's be clear here, this is to do with Operation Midland. No, it was indeed to do with Operation Midland, but I wasn't told you that. Weren't... I wasn't told what the allegations were. I wasn't told anything except that there would be a search. But in a sort of grieving and slightly shell-shocked way, you don't act in a, in a sort of, how dare you do it? It's not how you behave. Uh, you've told me previously privately, but I think you're happy 
this to be made clear. I mean, you were, you know, responding to condolence cards, weren't you, when well, the door um, bell I, rang? Well, I particularly resented. I had a file of condolence letters, which, you know, I'd received by that time because it was, I don't know, it was a couple of months afterwards, six weeks after Leon died. There were, no, there were sheafs of condolence letters, and I would answer them as best I could on a daily basis. But there were hundreds. And I didn't have... I mean, everything was searched, in fact, but I didn't see most of the search. But what I did see was the search of the condolence letters. And I just find it quite offensive that you know, one of the police officers should go through my condolence letters. As I was sitting there trying to answer them, it was just, it was just a sort of, it was a gesture of no sympathy. What were they looking for? I mean, were, they, were they expecting... Photographs, letters is what the search warrant finally said, because when I but looked But in at condolence it, cards, what on earth were they thinking they were going to have some yeah. sort of survivor of your husband? Things concealed, who knows? I mean, who knows? I signed search warrants in the past, but I'd never, of course, been victim of a search warrant. When I signed search warrants, there had to be really clear evidence that the things that you were searching for were there. But it seemed to me in Operation Midland, there was no evidence whatsoever that in any of the houses that were searched, any of the items, which were sort of photographs, diaries and that sort of thing, would ever be there. I can't really describe what it felt like. It felt as if one's entire life was being searched through for reasons I didn't know. And there was I, a passive bystander. It was something that was akin to essentially being violated. You did have a friend come and comfort you, didn't you, for a while? And I, she overheard one of the officers saying something which is quite shocking. Well, I rang a friend of mine who happened to be on her way out and she popped round and she was herself a magistrate. She came and made me a very strong cup of coffee because I was quite incapable of doing it myself. And she overheard somebody saying, one of the police officers who was there, Lady Britain hasn't had time to hide anything. Now, I didn't hear that. She told me later. She herself stayed, I suppose, an hour or so with me. Uh, we sat in the sofa, on the sofa drinking very hot coffee. And then she said, I think, Diana, you should ring your lawyers. I think you should do that. You should get your lawyers to come round. Because she'd said to them, what is this search warrant all about? And how could you produce a search warrant in these circumstances? And I couldn't think straight in order to think the same. Anyway, the lawyer did come round a bit later. Were you worried that the neighbours would find out? One of my neighbours rang up to say, for God's sake, that it was getting dark, get them to, to put the blinds down because everyone can see that the house is full of people. And you know, so I went to them and said, look, can you please draw the curtains? I mean, they did, but they hadn't thought to do it. And it was perfectly visible. Your other property in North Yorkshire was raided simultaneously and also on the two same days. day. Two on, days. Two days. Two yeah. days. I mean, on that day, I should make clear here, Harvey Proctor's Grace and Favour home on the Duke of Rutland's estate was raided at dawn and Lord Bramwell's home mm. was raided as well. Lord Bramwell's son, Nick, was on this podcast a few months ago going Indeed. into detail about his father's traumatic ordeal. Mm, it is. But you... You were aware quite quickly that the Met were looking for evidence up in Yorkshire as well. No, I knew that there was a, going to be a search there because yeah, there were two you. search warrants. Yeah. Or rather, the search warrant had the two properties on it. Mm. And all I remember saying is, I must ring the elderly housekeeper up there because you can't just turn up at the door. I don't know what they would have done if nobody had been there. So that was search witnessed by them. I mean, I didn't witness my own search and it was what 
they referred to as the fingertip search. Everything was searched. The sheets were searched. The mattresses were, were sort of lifted up. And the garden was looked at. And the garage, the hedges, the attic, all that stuff. And and loads of stuff was taken away. And they were looking for disturbed earth, weren't they? Presumably shallow graves. Well, this former yeah, Home yeah. Secretary, when, <laughs> it, when his um, police bodyguards weren't looking, put a body on, under the vegetable well, I patch. Think, I think the truth is that that story has slightly grown in the telling, that particular one. But they were asked... Brown and Sheila, were asked if there was any newly turned earth, to which they said, well, we dig the vegetable garden. No, we have a vegetable garden here. This was April. But, you know, the the hedges were searched, the perimeter of the garden was searched. I mean, goodness knows what they thought they were going to find there. I mean, this is what I found quite extraordinary, is that what did they think they were going to find? Well, they did find the Teletubbies video, didn't they? They took away a Teletubbies <laughs> well, video. Well, it was certainly probably Teletubbies from the, one of the granddaughters, but there was certainly Inspector Morse. They took away videos, some of which were proper videos, and others were tapes that stuff had been recorded on. And so a, a whole bag of those went. That went really from my house in London. None of them went from the Yorkshire house. didn't take any videos there. They took videos from London. I mean, it was just, the whole thing was just rather bizarre about what went. There's a whole list of stuff, which well, there was a list really of, bizarre list of Yorkshire items. stuff, but no list was given to me in London. Just a, a plastic bag of stuff was taken. And you were particularly upset when I mean, you told me in the past that they took away Leon's slippers. slippers yes. I was particularly upset by that. Not, not in London. They were taken in Yorkshire. I mean, a rather battered pair of slippers. And I just felt that that was... That was wrong. I mean, that was wrong. And what were they doing them for? It wasn't on the search warrant, and it's not. They weren't looking for DNA and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's what. They, that's the only reason you could take away a slipper is to get some DNA. But since, as we now know, there was nothing to get DNA from. I mean, you, a former magistrate. I mean, just lost your husband. I mean, what were you? I just can't imagine what was going through your mind. I suppose that. Had my thoughts been more clearly together, instead of, you know, if you're in a state of shock, you can't think straight. If I'd been thinking straight, I suppose I would have immediately rung the most competent lawyer I could find, because it seemed to me that what, in retrospect, what was going on was what I would call in the legal parlance a fishing trip. You can't do that with search warrants. You can't go in order to think you might find evidence. You have to really have a really good piece of evidence that you know is going to be there, and you need the search warrant to find it. Because the only reason you have a search warrant is that you don't think the people are going to let you in. Now, they had no reason to know whether I would let them in or not. And given, as we now know, they could never have looked for things that related to Leon. They could only have looked in relation to other people. You wouldn't need a search warrant for that because there's no reason they would have no reason to believe that I would seek to stop them entering the house and look for evidence relating to other people. And the purpose of a search warrant, as I've said before, is to bring the person whose property is searched to justice or to, to a charge. I mean, that's usually the purpose of a search warrant. So had I been a bit more together or had I not been in a sort of state of bereavement, misery... I probably could have challenged it a bit, but I just couldn't do it. I mean, you, you know, it's just not the way I was feeling. I was feeling right. in bits. Just finishing off on that day of the raid, mm. and you said a lot of it you blotted out of your mind, presumably because it was just so... It's, it's just horrible, horrible memories. But 
I just wondered if you can remember anything more about how you slept that night because you were alone in a house, weren't mm. you? You'd lost your husband six weeks earlier. I'd been through the uh, been press th- coverage. You'd been that, through the press mm, coverage. Mm. There had been you know, a very distressing period in both your lives in 2014. Mm. And now the police turn up. Was it in relation to the Jane allegations? Was it to do with something else? I just wonder, can you remember anything about how you slept that night and what you were feeling and feeling about Leon? That night, I suppose, I probably slept no better than I normally do. But what I was really, really worried about was that the story would get out. And we'd already had an altercation with the police about, are you going to tell this story to the press, to which the answer was, only if we're asked. And think one thing that really upset me is that they then said, I think one of them in the House said, or maybe the lawyer told me this, oh, we'll say that there was a raid in Pimlico. And I said, well, you can't use Pimlico because Pimlico is 10 streets wide. And I was very worried about that. And I understand that Pimlico was then changed to Westminster. But I was so nervous about the story getting out that I was unable to tell anybody, certainly unable to tell my elder daughter, who said to me, why didn't you? I said, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. And then, of course, the story broke about two days later, whereupon my house in Yorkshire was besieged by the press at the top of the drive. And that was another thing which was very difficult to deal with, was there I was on my own, having gone through all of this. And there was, it was just something that I just wouldn't want to live through again. Why, may I ask, did you not feel able to tell your, your daughter about I, what happened? I think, I think I was just too shocked. I was so nervous that it would come out. It's, it doesn't seem logical when you think about it now, but it's how you react to things. You know, some people react by shouting it from the rooftops and other people like me go into a sort of cocoon of my own. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to or who to ask. And so once, of course, it came out publicly, my daughter, I think, and I, at least she said, you know, why didn't you tell me? I said, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Was she angry that... So no, no, she no. wasn't angry. No, no, she was, she's was. she been very supportive. And I think she understood, because she and I are quite similar, she understood how I wanted to keep it to myself, because nothing about being ashamed. You're not ashamed of it. You're just sort of shocked by the fact that something like this could happen to you. Law-abiding citizens don't expect their house to be raided. A few months earlier, Leon had been publicly named in relation to the Jane yeah. rape allegation. Yeah. I think it was the BBC who broke the yeah. story on yeah. that. And now this, I just wondered, when you knew him so well, did you at all contemplate the possibility there may have been something in this, even at that stage? Well, I think that at the back of your mind, I may have thought it, but I had such an unshakable belief that Leon couldn't and wouldn't and didn't do it, and certainly in in relation to the rape allegation. I knew it couldn't be him. It absolutely couldn't be. It, it It just isn't his character. But the way in which this type of press pressure, police pressure, what it makes you do, and you have to be very strong to stand out against that, is to say to yourself, maybe there's something in it. But you can't do that. I mean, it's not the way that you can... You, you can't even think like that. 
the way in which pressure is exercised on you, this is why you have to be very strong, is that psychologically you have to push away from your mind any thought that there could be anything in it if you absolutely firmly believe there isn't. But the pressure makes you doubt. Can we move on to Leon's funeral? Because he uh, died January 22nd, 2015, six years ago, almost to the day. And you received a lot of support. You you talked about the Cambridge Mafia, his friends. I imagine they were all in touch. I had hundreds of letters, very nice letters, very supportive letters. A a funeral is a small private thing. And the funeral was, what, about a week later. But, you know, these, these things are rites of passage in, in one's life and in other people's lives. But it's you sort of, you get through them as best you can. You say the words that you want to say. The, the Jewish funeral service actually had, is a lovely service. And it was a simple service. And I suppose we had about 30 or 40 people at the burial and then various other things afterwards. I understand David Cameron was in touch, then the uh, Prime Minister. No, he sent me a letter. Sent you a letter. I had a, I had a letter from all sorts of... I had lots of amazing letters, of which they're all in files at home. I mean, hundreds of them. I answered them all, most of them. But, you know, it's you have to deal with your own grief in your own way. Now, Liam's a former Home Secretary. Yeah. In the mid-'80s, everyone knew that. The then Home Secretary, Theresa May, has set up the independent inquiry into child sex abuse before Operation Midland had been launched. Big public inquiry, another public inquiry for her. Was she in touch? Did she send you a condolence card? No, no, she didn't. It's not that you, you know, when you receive letters of condolence, you don't look at the ones you don't get. You're grateful for the ones you do get. They might perceive that as a snub. Was she caught up in this loss of the presumption of innocence as well? We never hold it against anyone for for not doing something like this. And it's interesting to know why the inquiry was set up. And indeed, it's uncovered a few things, but it hasn't uncovered any of the Westminster stuff because there was nothing to uncover. Did she send a representative to Leon's funeral? No. Well, as far as I know, no, there wasn't one, actually. There was a, somebody from the government, somebody from the Lords was coming but didn't come at the last moment. Because in November 2014 she went on the BBC Andrew Marr show and in terms of VIP child abuse allegations she said it was just the tip of the iceberg. And that certainly wouldn't have dampened the uh, sort of hysteria around this at the time. Well, I do remember. And I wonder whether that, that impacted on her decision not to send a condolence card. <laughs> I don't know. I remember hearing that interview and feeling a little upset by it. But in a way, I didn't. It, that, none of that mattered to me. What I wanted for the memorial service was a jolly good turnout of the people who knew him and liked him. That's what I wanted. And we had, in the end, a very, very good service. It was, it was very, very well done. And not a lot of singing, extraordinary speeches, including one amazing speech from the former Secretary to the Treasury of the US government under President Clinton, with the President of the United States saying to my friend uh, Bob Rubin, why is he not on our side? Why is Leon not on our side, Bob? What are you doing negotiating with this brilliant person? We should, we should have him negotiating for us. I mean, that sort of thing. 
you were happy anyway, and that's great for you oh, and your no, family it was a great, that it was in a the great, circumstances. It was a great memorial service and very well attended and you know, a few members of the press there, but with a wonderful, rousing song that we all sang at the end, which would which had been written for him by um, Simon Jenkins. And it was just it was very, very The political funny. commentator. Yeah. yeah, political commentator. <laughs> It was a parody of um, Now I'm the Master of the Queen's Navy. Absolutely brilliant. And we ended off the service by the entire congregation, of hundreds of them, singing this thing to the tune of Now I'm the Master of the Queen's Navy. And I think that was that sent everyone off with a, with a good feeling. I'm Stephen Wright, and you've been listening to a Mail Plus True Crime Special a series of interviews with Lady Britain, widow of the former Home Secretary, Leon Britton.